Abolition. Abolition. Today, Sandy Speak is going to focus directly on my white people. What I need you to understand is that being a black person in America is very, very hard. I will light you up. Get out. Wow. Now. Sandy, call me. Let me know that she has been arrested. How do you go from failure to signal a lane change? To dead in jail by alleged suicide. I believe she let them know. I'll see you guys in court. And I believe they silenced her. Do I think this jail had anything to do with her death? No. But moral responsibility was? Absolutely. If we want change, we can truly make it happen. Sandy Speaks. You have the right to remain silent. Let me shut up. They see me rolling. They hating. Patrolling and trying to catch me riding. Shine on the deck in the TV screen Ride with a new chick She like hold up Next to the PlayStation controller If a full trip then I'm gon' show ya Send a jack up into a coma Girl you ain't on crazy like crazy Bone tryna make your money Tryna have no babies Ride clean as well so I pull in ladies Laws on patrolling you know they hate me the music turn all the way up into the maximum I got speakers some boys try to jack for some But we packing something that we have for um We'll have a player locked up in the maximum Security sale I'm gripping old Music loud and I'm tipping slow T steady twisting like hit this small Police pull it right behind where we sitting low the Windows down gotta stop a loop he changed boys like who was that producing? Just to plan skills when we out and cruising. Got warrants in every city except Houston, but I still ain't losing. They see me rolling, they hating, patrolling and trying to catch me riding dirty. Plenty of the drinking, oh. so they get behind. 
behind me, trying to take my tag. Look at my rear view when they smiling. Thinking they'll catch me in the wrong and keep trying. Still denying that it's racial profiling. Views to take, you can take my tag. Pull me over, try to take my slab. Glove apartment, gotta get my cash. Cause the crooked cops try to come up fast. And being the baller that I am, I talk to them, giving it to but I'm not feeling my attitude. When they realize I ain't even riding dirty. Bet you'll be leaving with it, even matter move. I'ma laugh at you and then I have to cruise. Jamming number two on some old DJ screw. You can't arrest me, plus you can't sue. It's a message to the law, tell them we ain't. I can't be tough, but tell them that they should've known. Tip me down, I'm sitting crooked on my chrome. Booking my phone, finding a chick that is alone. Like they couldn't stop me, I'm about to pull up at your home. They see me rolling, they hating, patrolling and trying to catch me riding dirty. You just heard a clip of the trailer, HBO trailer, Say Her Name, The Life and Death of Sandra Bland, and that was followed by Chameleonaire, Riding Dirty, featuring Crazy Bone. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m., 6 Eastern, or 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Yusuf. I'm over here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center trying not to let them catch me riding dirty. <laughs> yeah, man. You you did it with that one. You know, that's a good way to kick the show off. You know, so last week you and I were joined by Curtis Davis. He's the author, abolitionist, and formerly incarcerated director of Decarcerate Louisiana. Curtis is the founding member and executive director of Decarcerate Louisiana and the In Plantation Prisons Project. Uh, he was instrumental in overturning unconstitutional Jim Crow juries in Louisiana. He's also a member of the Abolish Slavery National Network, and he introduced the Louisiana Abolition Amendment. Curtis's book, Slave State, Evidence of Apartheid in America, is definitely available, so please show your port for Curtis by uh, purchasing the book. He spent 25 years in Angola prison, and since leaving the literal slave plantation, he had become a beacon of hope for those still left behind. And so last week our focus was primarily on Louisiana prisons. This week we'll focus on the state that laid the foundation for the prison slave empire, Texas. And on this day, one day before the birthday of Frederick Douglass, Max and I are joined by none other than ASN leadership member Savannah Eldridge. Savannah is a registered nurse and founder of the Be Frank for Justice, formed to help ensure access to justice. After realizing obstacles while assisting her brother Frank appeal the egregious life sentence that he received under the outdated habitual offender statute, today the organization serves to support incarcerated individuals and their families through community engagement and education. In 2020, Savannah formed the Coalition to Abolish Slavery, Texas, 
and joined the Abolish Slavery National Network as co-director of state operations. She is actively involved in various organizations and campaigns to improve outcomes for incarcerated individuals across the state of Texas. And as always, just like you just heard, we'll be turning it up all the way with amazing musical mixes and audio clips, then bringing the ancestors' voices back to life for a new generation. So before we start, Max, uh, how's your week been? You're probably muted, Max. Yeah, sorry about that. So much to say in so little time, bro. I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, I got to see the early versions of the documentary we did with Decarcerate Louisiana. So last week when we talked with Brother Curtis Davis about it, they actually sent mm-hmm. us uh, the first parts of it, and it looks really good. Like, this is going to be something very powerful coming out of Louisiana, and I hope to see it come out of a lot of other states. I also uh, taught about four or five classes in an Ohio high school, uh, last week, that was a, a something I've been doing now for about seven years. Uh, graduating classes coming out of high school, they get to meet with a real live slavery abolitionist. First, they watch the film Thirteenth, and then they meet with me and they have questions, and I, I teach them things, you know, and they teach me some things, and that was very powerful. It's always a unique experience. Um, it's a predominantly white school, so. A lot of the ideas being presented are new to them, and sometimes not so much. But they're very inquisitive and ask some brilliant questions. Uh, And sometimes you can hear the reflections of generations before them coming from them. At one point, there was a student that said, well, what happens if we let all of these people go who are in there for these crimes that you said shouldn't be in there for? Uh, How do we know nobody's going to murder anybody? And I'm like, we don't know. You ain't going to murder somebody. How are you going to guarantee that? You know what I mean? People deserve their freedom. It's as simple as that. But we can't guarantee how people's lives are going to go forward. Um, but it was a, a great experience. Shout out to uh, Kilburn out there in Ohio. Um, so many other things happened, but I think I'll leave that uh, aside for now so we can go ahead and bring in our guest today, too. I think you have a clip to play in advance. And we've got so much news. We'll probably talk with Savannah about some of that news along the way. Absolutely. So this is uh, KXAN News when they first broke the story about the California Abolish Slavery Texas movement to abolish slavery in Texas. Outside the state capitol today, a rally to support a pair of bills that would abolish slavery in Texas. That's because under current state law and the 13th Amendment, slavery is still legally allowed as punishment for a crime. The two pieces of legislation, House Joint Resolution 51 and Senate Joint Resolution 66, are now seeking to remove that exception. Today's rally was organized by the Coalition to Abolish Slavery. They're calling on state lawmakers to pass these bills out of committee before the legislature ends on May 31st. There are one in two people who know someone who's been incarcerated. So this affects everyone, black, brown, white, everybody. If these bills pass, voters in Texas must approve them as an amendment to the Texas Constitution. All right, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Savannah Eldridge here to Abolition Today. What's happening, my sister? How you doing? Savannah, Savannah. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you? 
Yes, I agree. Still in Greek. <laughs> I always know not to ask that. My bad. Thank you so much for that. The music. You're just like the master of like getting the creative juices flowing through art. I love it, Max. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I put a lot of thought into that one. You know, there was some connections there. Of course, Sandra Bland and what occurred with her in, was it Wallacey, Texas, uh, where yeah. she. Uh, was brutally arrested and uh, stopped on false charges of turn signals. It could have led to her death right there because the guy was threatening her with tasing and everything else. Um, you could see the institutional racism and the war industrial complex that was being talked about in Riding Dirty, you know, where the brother was like, you know, I got warrants in every city but Houston, <laughs> you know, and how they were being racially profiled. And if they're in their car, they're targets for these fines and fees and uh, warrant searches that could lead to you being in prison for life. If it's your third strike, for instance, as you mentioned with your brother, you could never see daylight again for something like riding with an uninsured car, which is ridiculous. Uh, So, yeah, it it all came together. And, of course, that's a classic out of Texas, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think Yusuf said it, like, very cleverly when he said that Texas is the blueprint honestly, for prisons. And, you know, a lot of the the racist legislation, like it starts here, unfortunately. And even, you know, recently things like, you know, the heartbeat bill and, you know, CRT and all these pushes, you know, to bum rush the Capitol and bum rush the school board, um, you know, to take over these ideal, you know, these uh, right-wing movements really, really fun, I hate to say it, but in the South. And, you know, I'm also working with another organization, the Convict Leasing and Labor Project here in Texas. Um, They have a really big push to um, properly memorialize the Sugarland 95, uh, which were, you know, the – I hate to say I don't really use the word, but convicts is appropriate what they're called in all the um, the write-ups. But those who were who were jailed um, illegally most times uh, and forced to work the sugar cane plant there in Sugarland, Texas, and uh, I think it was back in 2018 they uncovered uh, their bodies, the 95 bodies, and believe it or not, that memorial site is owned by the Fort Bend Independent School District School Board. So, you know, they're trying to um, properly have that site properly named because currently it's inaccurately named um, the Bullhead Camp, and it's actually Ellis Camp where they found the body. So there is a petition that I, I'll forward to you guys to, to if you can help me share that. But, um, again, like, you know, when we're talking about slavery and the history of slavery, the reason why I'm glad you guys shared that clip because part of the conversation is centered around, you know, is this a black issue? Is this solely a black issue? And, yes, when we talk about you know, slavery, especially in the criminal justice system, we know that, you know, systemic racism was rooted in keeping black people working, you know, and keeping the economic engine of slavery going. Now, we also know that now there are, you know, poor people, you know, and other races of people who are caught up in the system. Um, And after, right before that, um, the, the, uh, excuse me, the, what do you call it, press conference, Um, somebody had actually come up to me and said, you know, why are you guys going around 
acting like black people are the only ones who were enslaved. And he says, you know, Irish people were enslaved also. You know, and, you know, I just had to, you know, diplomatically correct him in that moment and say, hey, we're talking about slavery on U.S. soil. That's what we are referring to. We are trying to end slavery in Texas and the United States. To my knowledge, the Irish were not slaves in, enslaved in the United States. So, you know, there's always, you know, opportunities and room for education. And, you know, we talk about this a lot, Max, but, like, the narrative and the messaging is so important because once it gets away from us, you know, it's very difficult to reel that back in. But, yeah, you know, I'm down here in Texas in the South, and there's just there's a lot going on and there's a lot – um, that we have to do in order to get this done, but um, I've accepted the challenge. So, so yeah. Texas is at the root of a lot of things. Uh, for instance, the whole Juneteenth fallacy that we uh, constantly celebrate, where the last people were informed in Galveston, Texas, by General Granger, that they had been emancipated, and the Thirteenth Amendment had been passed, and they were no longer enslaved. Uh, you know, Texas exploited immediately the exception clause in the 13th Amendment no sooner than they heard that. And only in a few short months, in 1867, is when uh, they started their first leases of what they call convicts, which was basically black people who had been formerly enslaved and they had criminalized their lives uh, with two railroad companies headquartered in the state that hired prison inmates to help construct their road beds. Uh, and then it was so successful, they did it again in 1871 with another contract, and it just grew and grew from there. Even to this day, right now, they're still using convict leasing. And sometimes they take a loss just to be able to punish people with hard labor. Hard labor is something they're very happy about. They're proud, that you know retribution and vengeance thing. So uh, in Texas, there's this one plantation uh, prison where – they had a flood there during a hurricane. I forget which one it was. We reported on the program here before. Uh, but during mm-hmm. the hurricane, they lost like a half a million dollars in cotton. And the first thing we were like, what the hell is the prison doing with a half a million dollars in cotton? Apparently, right. they're having these prisoners pick cotton every day out there in the hot Texas sun as a form of punishment. Right. Right. And, you know, Max, that's one of the biggest fights. I'm glad you brought up Juneteenth because um, I can't remember the woman's last name, but um, there was an elderly woman. Her name was Opal. I can't remember her last name, but she, you know, really galvanized the push to make Juneteenth a national holiday. And as we know, you know, that happened last year. But it was also on the cusp of, you know, the filing of the abolition amendment and just the irony of that, that, you know, they're finally making Juneteenth a national holiday. And then, you know, we filed the bill, the bill to, you know, repeal the 13th Amendment and finally abolish slavery. Like that, those, you know, the the contradictory I mean, it just this it happened similarly here in Texas, and I I kind of throw this out here real quick. So we filed our bill in the uh, 2021 in the, the 87th session, right? And when we filed our bill, a few weeks after that, there was a bill filed for the second time to end the Confederate Heroes Holiday. 
you know, so here we are trying to finally abolish slavery in totality, and, you know, they hadn't even been able to successfully say that, you know, the people who fought and died to keep slavery going are no longer going to be revered as heroes. And there was a lot of pushback from that also. there were The last session was in the media a lot because, of course, you know, um, voter suppression bills kind of took over and, you know, Every, if you follow the news, you saw that, you know, Democrats actually had to leave the state to kind of um, solve that. But our lovely governor um, filed another special session, and they finally got it through. But, yeah, just a lot of those contradicted the CRT bill. There were a lot of pieces of racist um, legislation that I don't want to say overpower, but because they were covered so strongly in the media, it was very difficult um, to put the abolition amendment, you know, in the forefront. Yeah, they weren't trying to hear none of that. Um, one of the things that you did point out as well is what happened with the Biden administration when we launched the abolition amendment on Juneteenth, which for us was a monumental thing to, you know, after all these years to finally put an end to slavery in the Constitution so we would have it no more as a protected industry. And on the same exact day is when Biden administration decided to make Juneteenth a holiday. And I know personally that they were aware of the abolition amendment because we have been planning it for months. We've been in contact with the vice president's office. We've been in contact with Nancy Pelosi's office. They all knew about it. So for them to do that mm-hmm. made me feel like it was their way of redirecting the audience, so to speak, uh, to c- covering up what we were doing uh, for the potential of what would occur should it be well-known as we were, are trying to make it. Um, you know, it's a threat to the system as they know it right now. Uh, Absolutely. You know, you, you've come a long way, man. <laughs> uh, hearing you talk about the 95 <laughs> yeah. people that have worked to death in convict leasing, prisons, stuff like that. Uh, and to know that during our period together, you know, I've seen these things come to light in your mind and seen your opinions shaped over time with facts and proof. And now you're a leader in the abolitionist movement, like literally one of the co-directors of state. That's the people that's organizing all the states, you know. You're also on the leadership team right. for the ASNN, making the decisions about where we're going to go next. Uh how do you feel these days? Like, do you feel different than when we met, like a year and a half, two years ago? Yeah, actually, I definitely do. Like, um, this has been a learning process for me, also, because when I met you, actually, um, a couple of years ago, I was still learning. Like, I, you know, this was not something that I had studied upon and I knew all along, and I just picked it up and decided. You know, in the conversation, you know, I was asked to help organize for the people on the inside, um, and that was when I first started doing the work. But just in that, I was like, this is wrong. And then I told myself, like, this needs to be ended, not just in Texas but everywhere else, and started trying to figure out, you know, what that would look like, of course, with your mentorship and Dennis and everyone else, you know, Kamal and everyone else who had, you know, already begun the process. Um, So when I first had um, an event down here in Texas, you know, I tried to look at, like, location. I tried to look at, like, timing and, you know, where it would be most appropriate to really – um, you know, grab people's attention. So I actually had um, the first event back in 2020 
in Fort Bend County where the Sugar Land 95 uh, Memorial is at, um, hoping to kind of, because there were already conversations around, you know, convict leasing, hoping to kind of grab that audience because there are other organizations that are, are doing work um, around, you know, the historical component. And I, I really uh, recognize that it's important that we work together in this work because, of course, there's strength in numbers. So my idea was to get formerly incarcerated individuals who had been slaves because I don't have a history of incarceration, um, to a rally and to dress up because the people here in Texas wear white. So to dress up in their whites, and we kind of simulated, you know, their whites and the shoes, and they spoke about their experiences, you know, working in the prisons. Some, uh, one of them actually did the um, – the song, like the cadence song, when they when they worked on what's called the whole squad out in the field, um, and it was mm-hmm. there, there were politicians and elected officials there, and it was very emotional. I was I was honestly I had so much gratitude for them because you could see it was it was very traumatic for some of them to put just to put a simulation of the the, the garment on, you know. Um, but so that was our first event, and from there, mm-hmm. you know. We've just been on a mission to educate people um, and seeing that, one, it's needed, um, and because that's the only way that we're going to uh, be effective in the campaign. So as I'm educating, I'm learning and, you know, gathering data to be sure that I'm giving factual information so that people can understand that, yes, we are speaking at times in the, you know, context of history, but this is still something that's very real, and people are still being affected by, you know, these racist bills and, you know, some of these, you know, just flat out, you know, our founding fathers just, you know, I don't want to say they screwed us, but they, they definitely did not have us in mind, and they still don't. So I think people need to understand that, and without feeling that it's divisive, like we're all neighbors, and, you know, again, nobody should be held in bondage, you know, regardless of, you know, if they've committed a crime. And that's why I've stood on this. That's where I'm always going to land. And, you know, that's what we're going to message keeping and pushing this campaign forward. Yeah, the people who are enslaved are those whose voices are heard the least. It's always been that way, even in the antebellum period. And Texas is a silencer. (laughs) They love to silence voices. There was a time in Texas when you couldn't even vote as a black person. And it went all the way like that all the way to 1944, uh, where the Supreme Court finally ruled eight to one uh, to end all white, uh, white purity uh, primaries that they had going on there, where they wouldn't let black people, women either, vote. Um, so Texas has always been about silencing voices. And they're still doing that now with the redistricting laws, the voting uh, oppression laws, suppression laws that they're coming out with. Uh, one of the biggest issues I suspect in Texas is the killing of people by police. Like we constantly hear different names coming up out of Texas, like Sandra Bland, uh, like Collie Jonathan, like uh, David Collie and Jonathan Price, Balsam Jean. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have all these systems set up, quota systems for arrests and warrants. And sometimes the interactions lead directly to death, you know, with the encounters by police. And it happens so damn often out there. Uh, I got a little music and clips about it I want to play. 
uh, if you don't mind, Savannah, uh, sharing it with us. And uh, when we come back on the other side, we're going to have some more conversation about the work you've been doing and uh, things that you uh, fight for. You're listening to Abolition Today here with Yusuf Hassan and Max Parthas. Our guest is Savannah Eldridge. We're at abolitiontoday.org, and we'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. The dash cam video from July of this year shows a Fort Worth police officer and a Tarrant County Sheriff deputy responding to a robbery call. The two off-duty, uniformed officers approached David Colley in an apartment parking lot. One pulls out a flashlight, the other his gun. There's no audio on the footage, but police say they told Colley to stop and show his hands. A few seconds later, the officer fired twice, leaving Colley crumpled on the ground. Nate Washington is Colley's attorney. I see an attempted murder. I see an aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Investigators say the officer shot Colley after he spotted a silver object in his hand and thought it was a gun. It turned out to be a box cutter. Colley spent weeks in the hospital, and since he was charged with assault, he was cuffed to a bed. The 33-year-old can't move his leg. He couldn't move anything other than his arms, but they have him chained to the bed and chained to the bed. Protest in another place, chanting another name. This time in the East Texas town of Wolf City, where Jonathan Price was shot and killed by a police officer Saturday night. Tonight, 22-year-old Sean Lucas is in custody, charged with murder. He'd only been on the job for six months and is being held on a million-dollar bail. Price was reportedly trying to break up a domestic dispute at a gas station. The Texas Rangers, who are investigating the incident, say Lucas, upon arrival, encountered Price, who resisted arrest in a non-threatening posture and attempted to walk away. Officer Lucas then tased Price before shooting him. Mr. Price was unarmed. He was non-aggressive and he had his hands up. Multiple witnesses have said that. We're going to move on now to new developments in that shocking case out of Dallas where a white police officer is now facing a manslaughter charge after shooting and killing a black man who she mistakenly thought was in her apartment. Turns out she'd opened the wrong door. She was arrested overnight. ABC's Marcus Moore has the story. 30-year-old Dallas police officer Amber Geiger arrested overnight, charged with manslaughter in the shooting death of 26-year-old Botham John. The four-year veteran of the Dallas Police Department, seen here on video in full uniform, reportedly moments after shooting John in his own apartment. The off-duty officer telling authorities she mistook John's apartment for hers when she returned home from a shift late Thursday and opened fire in the confrontation after she entered his home. I'm standing by. The legal team representing John's family, now including famed civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump. Black people are being killed for driving while black, walking while black. This, you had him living while black, and he still was and shot. He still was shot. Look, I got my hands up, I'm here to comply, I don't want to die I don't know what we were stopped for, but I can tell you it was not for I ain't got no guns in the car, no drugs, no weapons, no knives All I got is black lives and they matter And I know I'm afraid, I feared you since a toddler When you shot the fuck out of my pocket 
runs for And why you standing so close to my son's door Officer, we're not rioters, we're not looters Take a ticket, take me to jail, anything, don't shoot us Relax, you can put your hands down, I'm not racist But this place is filled with a bunch of faces that have previous cases Description of someone that made a decision that's prohibited. This has nothing to do with color. White people been shot more than black people, and that's a fact. Check the stats. But the news only reported if you black. And this is not conjecture. I'm here as the protector. Now put your hands on a car, man, Electra. I need to pat you down and make sure you ain't got nothing on you. Please, no false moves, I'ma warn you. Not only your lives, but all lives matter. That means mine too. Now who is this behind you? I've been running from this since I was a kid It ain't really matter what I did Soon as we see the lights, we gotta go The whole hood running, hiding, screaming, blow, blow How you gonna protect us, sir? When you neglect the words, then we expect the worst And we don't wanna cheer when you're here Cause it's clear when you're near, disappear Cause we don't know how to hide out there What the fuck did you just do? And you wonder why niggas don't trust you you just shot my son, now I gotta listen to everybody talk about it was his fault Cause he was just nine and got shot with a nine Cause your ass jumped like crisscross What the fuck, you scared of a little kid? Bitch, I couldn't wait just a little bit Now you gonna have to shoot me too I don't give a fuck about the suits and blue Get on the ground, get on the ground Don't make me empty another round Don't make a fucking sound Police, I need back up, back up Yes, it's another down Fear's a monster In the book we wrote I can never grow up now And I never can vote An endangered species And we under attack My future is dim now Cause I'm fading up Abolition 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 So you just heard uh, Clips of Stories of the shootings of David Colley, Jonathan Price And Botham Jean All by police officers both from John, yeah, sure. And that was followed up by Paige Kennedy, Fear, featuring Chief Waukeel. And some great production in there. You know, you got the uh, uh, the Ghetto Boys classic in there with the uh, My Mind's Playing Tricks on Me. Or if you ask, you know, an older person, they may say Isaac Hayes is hung up on my baby. And then followed by Metallica's Nothing else matters. And all the appropriate music right on top of the story that's being told right there, Max. Excellent job there. Thank you. Um, welcome back, everybody. Uh, yeah, powerful presentation there. I wouldn't mind hearing your thoughts on that, uh, what you heard there, Savannah. So, as always, like, perfect job, Max, just pulling, like, thoughts and sentiments together. Um, but that last part, like you can really hear the emotion um, in the the rapper's voice. And like for me, I've actually been pulled over by law enforcement where I thought that I was in danger. I travel a lot um, by myself um, because, you know, I'm here, I'm there. And sometimes I travel armed, sometimes I don't. Um, but this particular time I, I did. And I was pulled over because I was actually going to pick up somebody who was incarcerated in my family. And I was pulled over because he said that I was driving a new car and I had my windows down. And why didn't I have the air conditioner on? And I was just, that was the stupidest thing that I, I've been pulled over for 10th. I've been pulled over. But when he said, I was like, are you serious? 
and then it went to like, you know, are you getting smart with me? Like, and I was like, no, I just, I did not think that. Like, he literally got behind me to pull me over because I was driving without, supposedly driving without air conditioning. And it just really could have escalated. You know, from there, I was already nervous because I'm, you know, a woman traveling alone. I'm traveling in the evening hours. And so I think, you know, people miss the mark when, you know, they misunderstand the real fear, you know, associated because we see people dying. It's not like, you know, especially now with technology, we see people being shot and killed just for, you know, asking a question. So, you know, it's a legitimate concern. It's a legitimate, like, anxiety that we have, trauma that we have when, you know, we're being accosted like that. And even when you comply, you see that it could cost you your life. So you really don't know what to do. Of course, I wouldn't riding dirty or anything like that. Um, I was just trying to get where I was going. Um, but, you know, the culture and, and my concern is that, you know, is the protection of the police, right, with, you know, qualified immunity and then, you know, 48-hour rule where, you know, they have time to rest and think about things and decompress before they're even questioned. And, you know, those types of things that, like, a regular citizen is not afforded, you know, those are real concerns because, you know, the, there's no protection for the people. There's no protection for the citizens. Even those who aren't shot and killed, you know, just interactions with an organization who's supposed to protect people should not feel, um, you know, that toxic, in my opinion. And I don't want to say that to to mean that, like, every interaction I've had with law enforcement has been that way, but it really only takes one. And I personally, I do have a real uh, discontent and fear, especially, you know, depending on, like, the environmental situation. And I just feel like that shouldn't be. But with the climate today, you know, you just can't help it. You don't you don't know who's gonna knock on your windshield or window, right? And or, or what attitude they may have. And so I have a, a real um issue with that and it just bubbles up all type of emotions for me, uh, to hear people have those conversations, especially like black men, because I know sometimes how black men are received in the community and, and really there's nothing they can do about it, right? You're uh, talking about some serious trauma that is occurring when we talk about post-traumatic slave syndrome. It's present traumatic because this is real. Uh, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, you don't. Every one of them couldn't lead to that, but you know that the possibility exists, and it's a high possibility uh, based on your race, the color of your skin, or your zip code. Um, like in the clips that we played, the first one. Remember, they chained that brother to the bed. They they paralyzed him, shot him on a, uh, in, the, in the back, paralyzed him, and then chained him to the freaking bed in the hospital when he couldn't even move his legs at all. That's how cruel they are. And then with Jonathan Price, his hands was up and he was walking away. And that warranted a death sentence on the spot right there in his own community. And, uh, of course, both John showed just how trigger-happy these slave catchers are that you can kill a man before you realize you're not even in your own home. You know, the one you live in and go to every single night, get up in every day, do all your business in. Before you realize it's not your house, you can kill somebody. That's how quick that happens. And then the the song, 
the way it came, you know, you, you, again, it's just like riding dirty. They're talking about being hunted. It's a song about being hunted and knowing you're being hunted. And in that particular song, the father was prepared to beg for his life. And he's not the only one that would be prepared to beg for his life, knowing that these crazy-ass cops can kill your children for, or anything at any point. Name another time in your life when you're prepared to beg for your life. There's no other point that you can even imagine. Right. If you think about them cops, you're like, yeah, I probably would beg for my life. I, I, I probably have to because I can't shoot them because if I shoot them, they're going to lose their father. I can't fight back because any resistance is going to put me in prison. So all I got left is to plead for compassion from the slave catcher. Mm-hmm. And as he said in the song, yeah, as he said in the song, he even said, you know, not only did you kill my son, but it's going to be his fault that he's dead, because that's the yep. other pushback that we hear all the time. You know, Botham Gene was in his boxers and a T-shirt eating ice cream, chilling in his home after a long day at work. And the initial reports, if you were watching the trial, they were trying to even make it seem as though he did something in a threatening manner to her. I mean, quite naturally, if I'm sitting on my couch relaxing and all of a sudden my door comes popping open, I'm going to, you know, stay, you know, make a motion to stand up. That's a natural reaction. You know, so they tried to blame him. They tried to blame Jonathan Price. They tried to blame David uh, Colley. You know, every time we hear, we could, the list can go on and on and on and on and on and on where they're always blaming the people for their own death. Like they're doing the brother in Milwaukee, not Milwaukee, in uh, Minnesota right now. Minnesota, right. Yeah, uh, Locke, Brother Locke, who was murdered mm-hmm. with a no-knock warrant. All right, let's get back uh, here with Savannah and get you participating uh, more. <laughs> uh, I'd love to hear some of your ideas. You know, we met, I believe, with the Free the 13 campaign. Shout out to our family Mississippi out there, uh, Brother Kent and them. Who uh, put that down? Mm-hmm. What, what is the name of the, the Plus Organization? Yeah, yes. the Plus Organization, right? Plus Coalition or something? Yeah, Plus, Plus Coalition. Coalition. Yeah, that's how we originally met, and I remember like uh, just watching you go. Like, once you you're like me, once you bite into something and make a commitment, you're like, yeah, this is for real. I'm, I'm gonna be here a while. <laughs> this phone ain't going nowhere. I'm gonna keep doing it, and that's how I've seen you since then. You really have made this a part of who you are. You don't wake up and forget slavery is still legal like some people do. And when you give the opportunity, as the news report showed, to speak on the issue, you don't change over to reform or something else uh, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. You go right for the throat with abolition. Um, What do you think in your life now with the way you understand abolition? Is there any aspect of this system that it doesn't touch that you're aware of? Um, absolutely not. Um, so I'm kind of glad you brought up abolition because, you know, one of the struggles um, that we go through in, you know, being a, like a slavery abolitionist is trying to separate because I also do, you know, criminal justice and social justice reform. And there are some instances where we have to separate those narratives because if we don't, then, you know, once again, the the objective and the overall goal will be misconstrued. When we're talking about slavery abolition, if you start talking about it in the 
a sense of, you know, we want to offer compensation. We want to offer a fair wage. The first thing the prison's going to do is come back and say, one, we can't afford to pay a fair wage, and two, this person is incarcerated as a form of punishment. So we have a right, once again, under the 13th Amendment, to not only not force them to work, but not pay them anything. And we see it time and time again, and, you know, the legislature and the courts. The 13th Amendment is, you know, pulled out over and over, you know, in response to, um, you know, civil suits brought against uh, the prisons for whether it's, you know, conditions or, you know, uh, uncompensated time or wage. And I just think that, you know, from my perspective and, you know, where I stand with the work, Every day, you know, my goal is to reel people back into this is happening now because when we go and, you know, have discussions about the history of slavery, which is very, it's very important, you know, we can't just leave it there, especially in these southern states because we have to help people see that this is truly still happening in our communities. It's still affecting black and brown people. It's still this disintegrating, you know, minority communities because our loved ones are in prison. And why is it that when they go to prison, they don't have to fight for a job? They don't, you know, there's no question about whether or not they can do the job. But when they come back into the community in the free world, they can't get one, you know. There's, you know, people who do jobs in prison, like, you know, in California, the firefighters, Jamelia talks about it all the time. They come back in the community, they can't get a job as a firefighter, you know. So this, this work is so important because we have to build people. This is how we're going to enrich our communities. And the... The point of the legislation to me is just saying that regardless of what somebody's done, they still deserve to be treated like a human, and mm-hmm. they still deserve their freedom eventually to work toward their freedom, whatever that looks like. But we can't get caught up in, you know, um, we're going to pay them $4, $5, because honestly, how much – how much can they pay you to pick cotton? I mean, how much is it going to take for you, you know, to work on the whole squad? Even if you paid somebody minimum wage, you know, with the threat of their freedom and potentially not being able to go home to their family, there's just not a, a, an amount of money that's worth that. So, right. you know, we have to give people uh, real solutions. We have to treat people like people and give them an incentive to get back home to their families and, you know, be productive in society because right now there's not a whole lot of programming going on for people. Not, And I don't want to say there isn't programming, but, you know, there needs to be programming that's going to, um, you know, eventually lead to a productive and, and a working relationship on the outside of prison, right, and not just mm-hmm. functioning keep operations going. So, you know, that's my end goal really is, you know, to show that, you know, people need to be working towards something at the end of the day. They should be incentivized for their work. They also need the work needs to be overseen. There's no labor standards in the prison. You can work somebody two to 16 hours and, you know, you still don't. There's an initial appraisal done, but after that, you know, who's to say that they're even, this person is even physically able to do the work? 
if there, there's never another, you know, follow-up assessment. What if they just you know, don't want to work? So, so <laughs> you know? many issues mm-hmm. with this. Yeah, indeed. And, and there's something ironic that you mentioned earlier is that when you were being pulled over by that policeman for not using your air conditioning, at the same around the same time, you had just had a fight with the prisons because the prisoners did not have air conditioning and it was killing them with temperatures up to 130 degrees. And I believe you were instrumental in legislation that helped to uh, curb that problem. Am I correct? Well, I was working with another group. Um, shout out to uh, Dr. Ami Dominic um, and then also Casey Phillips. They have an organization called the Texas Prison Air Conditioning Advocates. Now it's called Texas Prisons Community Advocates. And they've both been um, instrumental in um, trying to get legislation in um, that would basically offer climate control in the prison, specifically air conditioning. So yes, I mean that. I mean it's a real problem. People are dying. Um, Texas has triple-digit temperatures. I mean it's hot down here. So honestly, like they had they had a challenge um, during the last legislative session. I think they had it, um, you know, in between where they were asking people to sit in their cars for I think it was five minutes. Um, without the AC on, with the windows rolled up, to just get an experience about what it what it's like, you know, in those temperatures without any respite from the heat. And you know, some people took the challenge, but you know, it's suffocating. You know, it is it's suffocating. And even with the federal lawsuit, you know, all the prisons were forced to do in that situation even was put AC in that only that one particular prison. You know. So we know they can do it. You know, Operation Lone Star, they closed the prison down and reopened it in order to fill it with, um, you know, people coming from Mexico, and they put temporary AC in those prisons. So we know that it can be done. But, yes, yeah, so a shout-out to that group. They're doing a wonderful job with that. Every year, every session, um, the, the bills are getting uh, closer and closer, but still haven't successfully been able to get that done just yet. And that is a blatant Eighth Amendment violation, cruel and unusual punishment, having people in a hot box of 130 degrees. And so not all of them are in the best of health, so it's life-threatening. Uh, again, you, you might die. because, And it doesn't matter which crime you committed. If you're in that cage, the mm-hmm. possibilities of you being killed or dying is very high. Uh, so that's a cruel and unusual punishment, which is an Eighth Amendment violation. But because you're no longer a citizen and no longer a person, you are treated as civilly dead. You don't have any rights except what the prison allows you. And on the outside, we're on an out-of-sight, out-of-mind mode because we become so indoctrinated to think that everyone who goes into a prison or a jail must have done something to deserve it and that they're criminals and because they're criminals that throw away people that we don't have to worry about no more. Uh, this is allowed to happen. It's a, it's a horror story unfolding in front of our eyes, and it all comes from slavery uh, where you turn people into property. Um, isn't prisons, uh, uh, private prisons a thing in Texas still too? Um, tech, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice has about nine private prisons um, right now. That was the last count that I have. But it's not as ba- bad of an issue as it is in other places um, because, you know, like I said, Texas has a blueprint. So one thing they know how to do is, you know, 
put up prisons. And back in the 90s, um, you know, of course, they, uh, late 90s, thanks to the um, the crime bill, um, they just were popping up left and right, right? Uh, we have over 100 prisons here in the state of Texas. Um, I think Damn. the last count I saw was 118,000, somewhere around there, people Prisoners, who were incarcerated. Yeah. That number had dropped during COVID because hey. there were some efforts to, to let people go, small efforts, but um, they're climbing again. You know, courts and, and were that's back just in the at, prisons, right? That's not counting the jails, right? No, that's not counting. That's just prison, the state prison, not even the federal prison. That's just the state. Yeah, the biggest prison system in the world is in Texas right now. And uh, the incarceration rates are ridiculous. And, and it's a very much racial motivated, as you heard in the clips, uh, where we had the firsthand testimonies coming from news reports. Oh, man. All right. Yusuf, anything? Sure. So, uh, the great conversation you two are having. Uh, I'd like to get into uh, HJR 51 and SJR 66, you know, the actual resolutions to prohibit slavery in the state of Texas. How did it come about, you know, if you explain how that came about, you know, uh, who assisted, who who are the, like, point people inside of the House and the Senate in Texas? Yeah, so um, I got together with uh, David Johnson with Grassroots Leadership. Uh, we had connected actually with um, ASNN through um, – I connected with Max and he connected with Dennis. Totally separate, but, you know, just came together organically. We formed a coalition to abolish slavery in Texas, and we just – wrote um, House Chart Resolution 51, uh, which uh, SJR 66 was pretty much the companion bill. So they said the same thing, just, you know, were um, filed in, you know, one was filed in the House and one was filed in the Senate with the intent to hopefully get favorable votes and favorable votes and be voted out. So HJR 51 was, filed, uh, was authored by um, Representative Alma Allen and, um, she, it, we did have quite a few co-sponsors. Uh, Representative Allen, you know, graciously agreed to carry this bill, and we're thankful for her for that. It was filed in, like, the first week, within the first week of uh, the start of the session. And then um, Senate Joint Resolution 66 was filed by Senator Boris Miles, um, another ally and just um, champion for um, criminal justice reform and, and all things um, that build communities. Um, so, again, we got those bills filed, session started, and, and the bills were filed actually, the HJR the 51 was filed a couple of days before the insurrection. <laughs> so it was filed on the 4th, and then the insurrection happened. I think that the insurrection, like, really started, I don't know, it started – it was like a fireball because, it, for me, it was an indicator of really what was to come because as the media kind of drew that way, you know, and these conversations were happening about what if these people were Black Lives Matter, what if these people were black, you know, race was inserted in a lot of conversations about, like, legislation because of the political involvement in those activities. So... You know, um, the bills were filed. They did not get um, – they got 
uh, referred to a committee. Um, HJR 51 was referred to the State Affairs Committee, and um, the companion bill was referred to the same in the Senate. Uh, but the committee never granted the bill a hearing, unfortunately. Um, there was a lot of effort to make office visits. Um, I'm on the steering committee for a group called the Statewide Leadership Council, and they were very supportive in uh, making office visits. Um, they helped when they were available for testimony had we got a hearing. Um, and, you know, just trying to speak to legislators. Um, David helped out, and, you know, we got letters to all, like, all 151 folks, we sent out letters like, hey, this is our bill, support our bill. Um, but ultimately, the biggest barrier was reaching the committee folks. Um, I, di I was able to speak to most of them. Um, and, of course, you know, when they talk to you, it's like, oh, yeah, sure, you know, we'll support, you know, we'll support your bill or no. You know, it's a yes or no, which is fairly uncommon. Usually they give you a little gray area. But with this bill, it was just like uh a sure or a hell no, right? Um, but I was trying to make a connection with the committee chair, and I could never do it. They started not – and this was um, Chris Patty on the uh, State Affairs Committee in the House. I'm saying his name. He's not running anymore, but he re his office really gave me a hard time. I marked down how many times I visited his office. I visited his office 12 times in the session, 12 times. He never mm. took – gave me a visit, but he never took my call. They never answered my voicemail. Myself. Like, I, I know how many times I call personally. I work with Texas Organizing Project. They had a town hall. They had members. We had, like, a social media party, and they had members call. We all called Chris Patty's office because he was the chair, and ultimately it was his decision as to whether or not the bill got a hearing. The crazy thing is one of the co-sponsors um, of the bill actually was the committee vice chair. So that just tells you how hard she was fighting, Anna Hernandez. She was fighting, you know, to get us a hearing. Like, you're the vice chair of the committee. Why can you not speak to the chair to try to get us at least so we can be heard, right? Um, and let me just throw this out there. Like, I – whether the bill passed or not, the goal for me was to make sure that we were having these conversations and making sure that this was on record and that we were going to be able to educate the public moving forward. So I was perfectly fine with, you know, making the visits, making sure the legislators knew that, like, this was what our campaign goal was. But I was irritated with how we were being blackballed and, you know, at the end of the day, like, people literally shut down about this bill. And part of that was because of, you know, um, you know, the George Floyd bill and other bills that and the voter suppression bill and everything that was going on. But a lot of it was just they didn't want to talk about it because we were making office visits very early on. So there was enough time and there was enough space. Um, had they wanted to listen to us, that they very well could have. So the bills basically stalled. You know, of course, we have every intention of filing again, but the goal for the campaign was to go to 
um, counties in across Texas, and there are 254, but to go to every wow. single county and plant the seed that slavery is still happening and is still legal. I want to know what people are thinking about it, you know, and that way we'll know which way we need to go. So lots of polling going on from the inside and polling going on in our communities. But at the end of the day, you know, the goal is to let people know that, that we are trying to end slavery uh, completely. So, Thank you. Um, man, you know, there's two aspects of modern-day slavery. Many people only talk about one aspect, which is the prison labor aspect. And that alone is huge. In Texas, uh, they bring in $70 million a year just from their prison labor. And they have it set up so that all inmates are uh, required to work forced labor. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. $70 million a year. But there's also the aspect of warehousing bodies for profit, which extends beyond the prisons and goes into the jails and the detention centers, uh, where they charge X amount of dollars for whatever number of people that they have in these beds that they fill. Prisons are even uh, have more bodies going through them. I mean, the jails have more bodies going through them than the prisons do. Uh, we have something like 2.3 million people in our prison systems, but a 12 million a year go through the jails. Uh, so the jails have become huge money makers in Texas and all across the country. So uh, do you know what the annual cost to incarcerate a person in these prisons in Texas is? I'm not sure offhand. Um, we did, and I, I did, I would have brought the information because I do have it, but I don't remember exactly what it is. But when um, I was working with the Statewide Leadership Council, they had gathered those numbers because you know, they had filed a common sense parole bill and taking a look at not only how much it costs to um, incarcerate people, but like looking at the aging prison population because people were being, you know, incarcerated for longer periods of time because they were getting longer sentences. So I'm not sure exactly what the number is, and I don't want to lie, but I I can find it because I do have it somewhere. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what we'll do then. Uh, we'll go ahead and open up the lines if anybody has a question or comment they want to make before we get into our music break. The number is 515-605-9814. If you're already on the line, just press 1 on your keypad, and uh, we'll bring you into the conversation. Uh, we'll go with that for a couple minutes, and then we'll get into our music break. So remember, if you're on the line and you have a question or comment, just press 1 on your keypad so that we can distinguish you from the people that call in to just listen. Um all right. Yeah, man. So I came uh, across. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, brother. I was going to say I just did a quick online search, and according to the uh, to uh, the Vera Institute, and this is based on 2015, it mentioned uh, 22,000 per inmate. This this that, this is what they're reporting. I would think oh. it's a whole lot more than that. Uh, I, I remember would, I reading it was so like about 50,000 at one point. I would think so too. California is like a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah, but but even with that number, <laughs> they say that it uh, generates uh, well the prison expenditure is a three point two billion dollars in two thousand and fifteen, and that was in two thousand and fifteen. Yeah, it's probably tripled by now because most of and the others have done the same. 
and that's at 
try to get them good grades. Instead, I chose to be a thug and ended in a cage. Lifetime, 23 hours of the day. One hour, the exercise, shower, shave. I hope they call my name when it's time for mail call. The same thing, different day, no love at all. Commissary coming soon, hope I got some bread. I need some sense, some soap and a new pen. Remember back when a nigga had everything. But then they came and took it all like a hurricane.
And when you're having to pick cotton just because you decide that's punishment that you want to exercise, you're trolling black people now just to say, look what we can do to you. Uh, we can kill you. We can enslave you. We can have you on a cotton field. We can put you in a hot box, and we can get away with all of it. These are human rights violations of the highest order happening right. in the United States of America right now. And it doesn't end with the United States of America. Other countries have taken our cue and using this warehousing for bodies for profit or forced labor as a way of gaining economic development programs. Uh, for instance, in the entire continent of Africa, the number one employer is G4S, which is a prison and security company. But in places where they're at, like in the Democratic Republic of Congo, their prisons are at 500% capacity. In 2020, 52 people died of starvation in a prison at 500% capacity. In South Africa, they have prisons built for 1,500 people that are holding 8,000 people. If you could see what I've seen, and you can see it by going to abolishslavery.us and looking under our video section, and it says international slavery. You can see the videos yourself of the people in the prisons mm -hmm. with their knees to each other's backs sitting in filth because that's the only way that they can fit in there. They don't have the rights that we have here, the liberties that we have here, and it's so much worse. But it came from here. Just like Vermont started the exception clause, we started this for-profit prison slavery garbage that is now spread across the globe. Uh, Savannah, one of the biggest commentary? exports. One of the biggest exports, that's right. Wow. Yeah, I just, before we go on, like, thank you, Yusef, for playing that track by Flatline. He's actually one of my uh, favorite artists. Um, he was killed about seven years ago. But uh, he did a lot of work in his community in Corpus Christi. I, did, I went to high school there, and I actually just moved, relocated from there. So very familiar with his music, and um, I'm, I'm definitely a fan. So you didn't know that, but I, I think yeah, it's I just sure an odd thing. Like, thank you so much for playing that. It just uh, it resonated with me. It resonated with me. But, yeah, so back to what we were talking about, like, that prison is a – it's a global – industry right uh so we're talking about a global industry and you know i think that's one of the biggest problems you know we know that our our co-director uh mr fivo was having some you know conversations and and even here like you know corrections is always interested in protecting their bottom dollar. You know, that's what it's all about. Whether it's $22,000 or $100,000, the bottom line is prisons make money. If they didn't make money, then they wouldn't be fighting so hard. I mean, it's not about jobs. They don't have enough. I mean, here in Texas, they're almost 6,000 officers short. So it's not about keeping people working. They can't even keep the prison staffed across the nation. They're just trying to keep the money flowing, you know, um, and unfortunately, uh, we still haven't, even to this day, figured out how to survive economically without using prison labor, you know, and that's what it boils down to. That's what all this resistance boils down to is, you know, nobody wants to think about it. Um, it's, it's why we have a loophole, and it's why, um, you know, slavery is still illegal at the end of the day. Well, you know, I think it would be a good idea, and I hope our brothers and sisters in the inside and their advocates are listening to this program right now, and we, by the way, are sponsored by J House Lawyers Keep, uh, Speak, that 
they prepare for a 2022 prison labor work strike like we did in 2017 and 18. Uh, we need to redivert all that energy that's going to be put into these different uh, promises that are going to be made by politicians into the reality of how dependent the United States is on prison labor. Um, so we should, I'm, I'm, if you're hearing me, I think it's time for that. 2022. Let's start now. Absolutely. What do you think, absolutely. What do you think? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I think that's a a great segue to, like, talking about, you know, this is about coercive labor. You said it earlier, Max, like, there are people who don't mind working, like, and voluntarily, like, sure, you know, like I said, my brother has a life sense. I always say this because, you know, when I started, you know, doing this work, particularly working on this campaign, I talked to him about it, you know, and he's serving life. So, you know, I wanted to know what his thoughts were, you know, about, you know, what it would be like to to be forced to work, you know, and his he works in the kitchen. He works 14 hours a day sometimes, especially during the pandemic, um, because they just didn't have enough workers, you know, at the peak of the pandemic. So they were working very long hours in the kitchen to try to make sure that, like, the the people in his particular unit were getting hot meals, you know. But, again, that was his choice. You know, he, he chose to get up. He chose to go to work. But, again, we have to think about, you know, when people are not able or just don't want to, you know, what are the repercussions that they're facing by making those particular choices? Right. I think every, nearly every black body in these prisons would if given the opportunity, would say, hell no, I'm not picking no damn cotton. You pick the damn cotton. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, if you had the choice, you would probably say that. Uh, I don't care what you want to give me, what benefits you want. No, I'm not going to pick your cotton. And the result of that would be isolation, potentially a beating, brutality, because, you know, legally they were whipping people in prisons until the 1970s. Like, literally whipping people in prisons until the 1970s. And or they could do like they do in California and just violate your probation before you even get probation and put you in prison another fifteen years before you see the light of day to begin with. Exactly. Uh, these are these are all ways of coercing people into forced labor is by violence or threats, and that's illegal. It's a violation of all these treaties we have with other countries. And we dare to talk about how we're gonna boycott China when we're uh, providing more goods and services to prison labor than China is. We right. actually have a caller. If someone's calling in, they have a uh, Austin, Texas area code. All right, let's bring you in. Uh, 2881, you're on Abolition Today with Savannah Eldridge, Max Fox, and Yusuf Hassan. Welcome. What's your name and what's your question or comment? Man, I appreciate the space. Can you brothers hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah. Can you hear me, Savannah? Hey, yeah. Okay. Peace, peace. My name is Chavis, Chavis Watson. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a community advocate, community leader, uh, brother in the, brother in the streets. You know what I'm saying? Intimately involved in the community. I can say that. Um, I, I've had the pleasure of working with Savannah and, and and other creative partners out here in Texas. Y'all 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 mentioned uh, Texas has the biggest prison system, the biggest uh, cultural landscape in the uh, in the world. And I just came back from prison in uh, in 2020. And, and and so, based on everything y'all have offered, man, I come to this question that I, I pose with a few, and, and it's this. When do the people reclaim their time? 
when, when do we get, when do we assess slavery, understand it, reallocate it, streamline it, and move on to the next project that is understanding the time before slavery in the Calendar Act of 1750 set New Year's and Christmases and all this other bullshit that's, that, that if it ain't is, I mean, it's just as profitable as the carceral landscape. And it's equally as hypocritical and not advantageous to black people. Black people, Latino people, indigenous people. And so I say, when will the people reclaim their time? Will we, will we, will we, will we continue to think that that, 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 that season of voting is going to solve it all? And offer no, 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 no advocacy throughout the year of community building and policy reform. When we reclaim our time, Dr. Claude Anderson speaks of, of, of reconciling this debt and putting back into ourselves. And so if, if, if we always hinge on the 13th Amendment and don't understand that the 6th and the 8th are perhaps the, some of the biggest top five civil rights issues in this motherfucker, I'm sorry, in, in this uh, in this in this land, when we rise above that that knowledge and say, okay, it's time to recalibrate. Uh, James Baldwin said in '65 that this is a catalog of disaster: the police, the the the, the, the hospitals. <laughs> he said it takes until '35 to understand it. Understand that this place has, has created no. This, this place in which you are your identity has created no place for you. And so I say, when will the people reclaim their time? And, and, and so I appreciate the time, the space to say that. Applaud y'all for the conversation, man. It's peace. Uh, thank you for the time. Again, my name is Shavis. <laughs> Shavis, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in Austin, uh, a little bit in Houston. Uh, I have my own group, my own group, working group 512, but we're affiliated with, with anybody on the right side of the motherfucking work. Anybody, it don't matter where you are, what jurisdiction you're in. If you understand that, that, that black history is more than, than the NFL and the NBA, in February, the month of February, and you are liberated and, and eliminated, you know that black is beautiful everywhere. You, you create peace with Latinos and not discord, then then you can even embrace what slavery has been and, 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 and has resulted in impact because we have to get, we have to get before it and reclaim our time because they, they, they recorrected our time in 1750. I appreciate the time again. <laughs> Thank you very much for Thank your time. Thank you for brother. I uh, appreciate that, Chavez. There are some points that I did want to address. Uh, I, I don't want to have a discourse at this time because we're limited, at, limited on time, but I do just want to add more to the com- what you just said. But before that, I want to give our guest, Savannah, opportunity to make any comments she'd like to do. Now, just really quickly, that's Peace Chavez. Like, uh, Chavez is a beast in the community, you know, uh, working on getting food access to his community and definitely an ally in this work um, with me. So I appreciate you for tuning in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he posed a great, great question. And, you know, when are people going to reclaim their time? I think when they realize what's really going on, and that's why it's really important that we 
work to educate our communities because in order for people to, to do that, it starts with them knowing that it's a problem, right? And, you know, unfortunately, in order to get on the right side of history, you got to know it. You know, you got to know your history. So, you know, we are um, tasked with the with the the heavy lifting sometimes of making sure that people know their history as to not, you know, well, I don't want to say as to not repeat it because when we're talking about slavery, it's still going on. But, you know, to prevent some of the, the harms that have happened to communities and namely communities of color. So that's all I want to add. Thanks. Um, Yusuf, anything? You might be on mute. I'll defer my time to you, Max, to give you more time to uh, expand on what you were going to say. All right. Um, there was a few things that brought up. I just want to add to them. First, you know, when a, the question, when will we be reclaiming our time, is I suspect when we're not forced to do time anymore uh, for Jim Crow laws and uh, injustices and for-profit uh, justice systems and prison systems. When we're no longer forced to do billions of hours of time, uh, maybe that's when we'll reclaim it. But as far as the voting is concerned, I've never been a big fan of the democratic system of voting. I've always believed that that is mob rule uh, because we make up a minority, and if everybody got to vote, then we would always lose because we are a minority. But I've learned to use every tool in the shed. And right now, uh, not a mob of people, it's not all the people, but just enough of the people have come together to abolish slavery in three states and to set legislation in three more that are already on the ballot with another one coming in any day, California, uh, a total of 13 states with legislation to do the same, and then another uh, 20 some odd states that are organizing as we speak, something that's never been done in this society before. We've never seen this country a day passed where slavery was not legal. So we're doing something that is changing history and creating history, black history, as we move forward. Um, as far as policy reform, I'm not necessarily a reformist. I understand that there is reform necessary, but I can't focus on reform until I get see slavery ended because there can't be any fairness, no justice, no equality, no expectations of equality at all as long as slavery is legal. You can't have slavery and freedom in the same country because one is going to be a lie. So you got to end that. Even for reparations, you can't have reparations while the crime is still happening. Because if you do, you get a paid in full stamp on your forehead, and then they can up what they've already been doing. If they don't end slavery before you get any form of reparations, they're damn sure not going to do it after you end it. <laughs> There's no incentive after that. So they can just amp up the prison uh, system to quadruple what we see it today. Uh, a loaf of bread could be $10,000 a freaking loaf. Uh, you know how yeah, they do that? Yeah, Right. Their faces are on the damn money. Uh, the slavers' faces that we are trying to collect and empower ourselves with. Uh, Claude Anderson, uh, he's a wise brother. Um, but to the best of my knowledge, he has not adopted the mindset that slavery is still legal yet. Uh, and so there's workarounds with him on that. He fills in the gaps with other things. So I think that is a missing link in his understanding, and I may be wrong, because I have heard him speak on convict leasing, but not in the present tense as we speak of it here. Um, and, you know, the Sixth and Eighth Amendment, we talked about the Eighth Amendment today. 
Uh, we have shows specifically about the Sixth Amendment and the Eighth Amendment. We got multiple shows just about those, as well as the Fourteenth, the Fifteenth Amendment. Uh, we understand that when you're dealing with a crime against humanity, the very first thing that happens is your constitutional rights are denied because you can't have rights and be enslaved at the same time. Uh, and so that's one of the telltale signs when people's rights are being denied to them. A crime of against humanity is very likely happening. And in that case, here it's genocide and slavery because it is a genocide. So that was what I wanted to say to, uh, about the comments on the, uh, with the brother there. Uh, Savannah, anything? I'm glad you brought that up about, um, you know, costs being raised because um, one of the people on the inside, um, you know, when we were having a conversation about House Front Resolution 51, you know, he voices concern that, you know, um, what if they start paying us? You know, what if, you know, is he was asking, is this bill specifically going to be about wages? Because all they're going to do if they start paying us is take more money from us, you know, and then they do. There are some people, I think there's a little less than 1% of people who have, like, private jobs, and, of course, they get more wages, but they have to pay room and board, and, you know, that happens in other states as well. So that's a real concern. But if it was just about wages, the Texas Board of Criminal Justice, who oversees the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, um, have the ability to give or pay wages to incarcerated people for their work. The, it's in their policy and procedure that they can vote to pay wages to people who are incarcerated in the state. They just don't. But that's why the, legisla- uh, the legislation is so important because, again, if you just allocate a wage, it doesn't do anything to restore the person's rights. And that's why we have to attack it from you know, right. um, the standpoint of amending the Constitution. Right, treat it as a crime against humanity. Uh, that way we get international uh, assistance, as we've been doing as well, because this is a global problem. Although we started it, we can also be the ones who finish it, the generation that ends slavery, and I think that would be amazing. Uh, when it comes to these complex issues of prison labor and how much they should be paid and what jobs they should allow to be due, that is a very convoluted uh, issue uh, and abolition uh, uh, directly affects that by identifying it as what it is. Uh, but for instance, uh, and I've said this before, is Starbucks has this uh, subcontracting going on where they use prison inmates to make their gift packages, or at least they did to the last mm-hmm. last time I, I heard. Where they make no, they, gift they still do. They still do that. Okay, so they make those, those gift packages during the holidays, right? And they pay minimum wage. So Starbucks is not at fault here. They're paying minimum wage. But when it gets to the prison, the prisons take out half of this. They take out 35% for this, 20% for this, room and board, until you've only got pennies left. So how does that help the inmate if they're still only getting three cents an hour and the prison's taking all the money? Uh, And and those things uh, make it so much more complex than it needs to be if we just looked at it as a crime against humanity, slavery, forced labor. We're not trying to stop people from working who want to work and earn money in a economy-based system, which is what prisons are. But we don't want you to force nobody to do something against their will, like pick damn cotton. <laughs> you know? Like that is illegal everywhere except here. Right. And the only thing I would add to that, Max, is 
you know, we cover the, how the courts deal with this situation over and over again, specifically when it comes to lawsuits from the prisons dealing with Sixth Amendment and Eighth Amendment, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Eighth Amendment issues. The courts have always deferred to the exception clause of the 13th Amendment, and they say, you know, basically they don't have the jurisdiction to deal with any of these issues. So as long as that exception clause is there to the 13th Amendment with the caveat saying, you know, basically you are a slave of the state, as one court even said. They said it straight out, you're a slave of the state. And so as long as that's there, then, you know, none of those amendments really matter to those on the inside. And at any given second, a person can end up inside, innocent, guilty, doesn't matter, because they're just going to be out there rounding people up, Max. Uh, Savannah, you want to say something? It sounded like you. Yeah, no, I just, um, just talking about how lucrative a business it is, I remember when I was doing some research and, and Tennessee had just joined on, um, you know, well, and their their bill, I guess, was already in process, but I had come across um, an article um, that talked about when Tennessee had, I think it was a tornado, and it knocked their, their factory down that creates the state license plate in one of the prisons. Um, but, you know, have no fear because here comes Texas, you know, mm-hmm. ready to fill in the gap. <laughs> so they just had, you know, and I came across it when I looked at one of the fiscal notes um, and pulled, you know, everybody who had been paid and, you know, who had um, used prison labor, the Tennessee Department of Corrections came up, and that's what it was for. They had paid Texas or the people here in Texas to make their license plate until their factory got back up and running. Um, but when I was looking at those figures, you know, it, every it seems like every school district here, every state agency, most state agencies use, you know, or or purchase, make purchases from um, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice because they have, you know, they do tire treading, they do graphics, they do, they make modular furniture. It is a lucrative, they do fencing, fix buses, like, there's no end. Um, and I've said this before, there were a couple of HBCUs on there and that I'm going to have to speak to you about it because, you know, um, once again, like, what the hell are you doing? You know, like, I don't even know how else to ask it, but what the hell are y'all doing? You know? Um, so, yeah, um, it's just that, like, Max already quoted the figure $70 million, $70 million, and they don't get one red cent. You know, the women right. uh, during the peak of the pandemic, they made masks. And, you know, for the community, they barely had masks um, for themselves, for themselves, hand sanitizer. You know, they do it all. Um, but, again, the, it doesn't translate to work in the community. So, I mean, it's just it's just horrible, you know. Um, but I, I would like to share that uh, with you, Max. There's a whole catalog. I think the catalog's about 70 pages um, with goods and services um, yes. that they offer 
here in in the state. Um, they make some beautiful furniture, um, by the way, but it's not available to the public, of course. And one of the gentlemen on the inside had actually wrote me uh, when they found out about the bill and said that, hey, you know, we have a crafts program, and the crafts program was able to sell some of their goods to, like, you know, the workers and stuff like that. Um, but they stopped that. So now they have no way to make any type of money, you know, for their creative works. Um, so, you know, just stopping it at every point while the the, mm -hmm. the state continues to, you know, benefit from the work, the people still are not allowed, you know, to have any type of incentivization from the work that they do. You know, tonight has been a, uh, a powerful a discussion and the time has flied so fast. Uh, I know that mm -hmm. we were competing against the uh, Super Bowl, but uh, it is what it is. I personally am not supporting the NFL. There's been too much racism for me, and I don't want to participate in helping them get any money so I could care less about what happens with the Super Bowl. Uh, there were so many things I did want to touch on tonight that we won't have the chance uh, for sure. Uh, maybe we'll have that opportunity on another occasion. So what I do want to touch on is uh, the – I said earlier that they troll us. And what I mean is they're very spiteful. They'll do something to you and then brag about how they did it to you or make it into a big joke, their racism, their abuse, and their horror and terror that they commit upon us regularly that traumatizes us and makes us live in these circumstances where we're constantly wondering when we got to beg for our freaking life uh, because a cop might kill our child. Um, what I'm going to do is play a track, and when we come back on the other side, Savannah, I want to get closing comments from you on websites that you may uh, have people uh, want to go to and also how they can help you fiscally uh, and make a donation to your efforts and your work. So we're going to play a commercial I found from Texas, and you just got to hear it. It's called the Warrant Roundup, and that's going to be followed by Same Shit, Different Toilet by Pharaoh Monch and Styles P. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Yusuf Hassan, Max Parthas, and our special guest, Savannah Eldridge. We'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition Today. Did you receive a special Valentine this year? That's right. Notices started going out February 10th as part of the Great Texas Warrant Roundup. Get it taken care of now by paying your fine online at roundrocktexas.gov slash court fines or pay it in person at 301 West Baghdad Avenue, Suite 120. Be sure to pay your fines before March 5th so you don't get the matching jewelry set and we can cancel your reservation for one. Yesterday still yawning inside of a tournament I 
Now come on, breathe. I'm about to bring six clansmen to the knees. A cold story that my old man told me. If you're wondering why I have so much pent up hostility inside of my soul and the memory still moves me. Just take a glimpse into the mind of an OG. Underneath the oak tree in the shade where I hang at. That's the same spot my great grand used to hang at. Praise peace, God. I can't call it. Same shit, different, darling. When will the struggle go Square one, we're back again. I'm about to lose control. I'm about to lose control. Please my soul. But I'm going to kick me again. What up, babe? Same shit, different, taller, kid, call it long line of alcoholics in the long line. My man gave me work, and I sat up on the strip and got knocked. A long line of homies in the key. For bail, like it's the way, like that's the way. Meaning a slave, even paid to be caged in, which is motherfucking insane. It's like we picking cotton again. 45's a clansman, shit is rotten again. They gave us AIDS, gave us crack, now they plotting again. That boy ran, so they shot him, then they shot him again. The same shit, make the tissue new. Make it 400 years, let's make the issues new. Why you love a dead black visual? I'm about to grab my gun. Shit is critical. The devil is evil and no miserable. Praise, peace, God. I can't call it. Same shit, different, darling. When will the struggle go? Square one, we're back again. I'm about to lose control. Please ease my soul. I'm going to get me a gun. Abolition. Abolition. That was the Warrant Roundup, Texas, and followed by, sorry, Mom, it's the title of the song, Same Shit, Different <laughs> Toilet, by Farrell Bunch, featuring Styles P. Uh, I tossed it to Savannah first. You're there in Texas. I don't know if you've seen that commercial or have heard any feedback about it. Yeah, I I actually had seen the commercial. There I there wasn't that I saw any feedback, but again like you know the the way things are marketed, a lot of times there's not a whole lot of of um I guess pushback against stuff like that cuz sometimes it is the expectation um and cuz of the climate here. So, I don't know. I think people just missed that one, but I did saw it sometimes I saw it. Sometimes you got to just shake your head, you know, like, um, I swear if you take up every cross in this state, like you'd be fighting every day all day. I remember that. That was definitely a sick commercial. It shows you what they're about. It's the extortionists making freaking commercials and making jokes about how they're going to lock you up if you don't come in and pay that money because we got warrants on all of y'all. Y'all all got warrants. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, they so put it in the day. paper too. There was a big, I mean, it's a big media campaign, you know, about it. So it worked, Savannah, believe it or not. <laughs> I want to say thank you um, uh, for being yeah, here with us just, tonight. Um, I, I want to thank you guys so much for this time and this space. The time did really go by fast. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, this work, uh, especially down here in the South, it's just, um, it, it's hard everywhere. Um, but the conversations are hard, especially to, to begin down here. 
I think, um, and Louisiana can probably attest to this more so than me because their legislators basically told them, you know, that they were creating danger in their community by trying to end slavery, you know. Um, but, you know, we keep fighting, and um, I just uh, would like to thank you guys again. I hope that the listeners get involved. If there's anybody in Texas who's not already involved in the work with, you know, Be Frank for Justice and the Coalition to Abolish Slavery Texas, um, you can find, I have a website for both. It's www.bbe.com. Frank, the number four justice.org or um, abolish slavery tx.org if you want to know more about how you can get involved. Uh, we're rebuilding the coalition, getting ready for 2023 um, to put our bill back forward, and we need um, strong coalition members with resources who are ready to work because it's going to take all of us, all of our strength, and all of our resources um, to go ahead and end slavery in this state. Yes, go to the website and donate, donate, donate. This is not a, something that we... That's the other you know. thing. I just found out today. I got my 501c3 status, and I'm so excited because <laughs> I didn't have it. I've been funding all this with my own Congrats. money. Congrats. And, uh, yeah, I, today I just learned it. I just happened to look it up and check it, and it was... It was um, approved, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, if you want to donate, you can go to the website and... Um, yeah, so we are official now, a charitable organization. Give her a birthday gift for be frank for your for justice dot org. So go over there and make a donation. Uh, it takes a lot to do this, especially in Texas. Once again, thanks so much, Savannah. Uh, Yusuf, you, I'm sure you feel the same way, right? Absolutely. You know, we could talk all the time. Glad we finally had her on as a guest. She's called in plenty mm-hmm. of times before, but. It's just really grateful to have her here as a guest this evening. Uh, Thank you so much, Savannah. Yeah, exactly. And don't be a stranger. Come back. Yeah, I got to come back. I'm a fan of the playlist, too. So you guys keep (laughs) the good music coming, and I'll keep listening. Amen to that, sister. For sure, for sure. We're going to be changing the world together. Uh, We've already done some, but we're going to do it some more, like kids playing in mud in the rain. (laughs) <laughs> All right. That's right. Uh, we still have a fantastic bridging the gap coming up where we honor our ancestors mm, by giving mm, mm. Uh, you an opportunity to hear their words again. Uh, sometimes it's the first time they've been heard uh, since the day they were uttered, but not in this case. We've got a special one up for you. So I'm going to pass the mic to Yusuf. We'll give our shout outs to our sponsors and introduce our Bridging the Gap segment. I just want to say thank you to our guests. Thank you to our caller. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, we couldn't do this without you. Peace until next week. Yusuf. Peace. Definitely, definitely ditto that. Uh, we definitely want to thank our sponsors and our partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sema Urge, the Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolish Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash abolition today. That page will have all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. We're also available on all major podcast platforms. Remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become a part of the solution. Also text END, 
the exception, all one word, no spaces, to 52886 and follow the prompts. This will sign a signed petition on your behalf to your congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. And it's my understanding that our show is also being live streamed through the clubhouse. So make sure you check that out as well. Uh, I don't have the name of the channel in, in front of me right now. Shout out to Brick Cow. Yes, definitely shout out to Brick Cow for streaming us. It's in the clubhouse via Club Deck app. So it's at Club Deck app. You can check out Abolition Today. Just another means of being able to listen to it. So we just wanted to make sure we included that. But jumping into our Bridging the Gap, this is one of my favorites. So we have Ozzie Davis reading Frederick Douglass. And the topic, the three ballot boxes. And that's going to be followed up by Lauren Hill. Sorry? The three boxes. The ballot is one of them. What did I say? You said the three <laughs> ballot boxes. Yeah, I'm so excited. That's what it is. It's the three boxes. And that's going to be followed by Black Rage by Lauren Hill. We'll be back next Sunday, God willing, February 21st, with another master class on slavery abolition. Maybe by then we'll have a guest. Who knows? We got a lot of guests lately. But if not, you'll have uh, Max and I. And so until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. It was my good fortune to be present at Abraham Lincoln's inauguration in March 1865 after his re-election as president, and to hear on that occasion his remarkable inaugural address. A series of important events followed soon after the second inauguration of Mr. Lincoln, conspicuous amongst which was the fall of Richmond. The collapse of the rebellion was now not long delayed, though it did not perish, without adding to its long list of atrocities, one which sent a thrill of horror throughout the civilized world, in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, a man so amiable, so kind, so humane and honest that one is at a loss to know how he could have had an enemy on earth. I was in Rochester when the news of Mr. Lincoln's death was received. Our citizens, not knowing what else to do in the agony of the hour, betook themselves to City Hall. Though all hearts ached for utterance, few felt like speaking. But I was called upon and spoke out of the fullness of my heart, and happily I gave expression to so much of the soul of the people present that my voice was several times utterly silenced by the sympathetic tumult of the great audience. I have resided long in Rochester and made many speeches there which more or less touched the hearts of my hearers, but never till this day was I brought into such close accord with them. When the war for the Union was substantially ended and peace dawned upon the land, when the gigantic system of American slavery was finally abolished and forever prohibited by the organic law of the land, a strange feeling came over me. My great and exceeding joy over these stupendous achievements, especially over the abolition of slavery, which had been the deepest desire and the great labor of my life, was slightly tinged with a feeling of sadness. The anti-slavery platform had performed its work. 
and my voice was no longer needed. What should I do? The answer was not long in coming. Though slavery was abolished, the wrongs of my people were not ended. Though they were not slaves, they were not yet quite free. No man can be truly free whose liberty is dependent upon the thought, feeling, and action of others, and who has himself no means in his own hands for guarding, protecting, defending, and maintaining that liberty. Yet the Negro, after his emancipation, was precisely in this state of destitution. The law on the side of freedom is of great advantage only where there is power to make that law respected. The government felt that it had done enough for the former slaves. It had made them free, and henceforth they must make their own way in the world. Yet they had none of the conditions for self-preservation or self-protection. They were free from the individual masters, but the slaves of society. The old master class simply drove them off the plantation and told them they were no longer wanted there. I therefore soon found that the Negro still had a cause and that he needed my voice and pen with others to plead for it. I called upon the government to assist the landless Negroes of the South by colonizing them on lands abandoned by the slaveholders as they had retreated before the advancing Union Army. I urged further that these former slaves be equipped with implements to till the soil and arms to defend themselves. From the first, I saw no chance of bettering the condition of the freedman until he should cease to be merely a freedman and should become a citizen. I insisted that there was no safety for him, nor for anybody else in America outside the American government, that to guard, protect, and maintain his liberty, the freedman should have the ballot that the liberties of the American people were dependent upon the ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box, that without these, no class of people could live and flourish in this country. And this was now the word for the hour with me, and the word to which the people of the North willingly listened when I spoke. However, regarding as I did, the elective franchise is one of the great powers by which all civil rights are obtained, enjoyed, and maintained under our form of government, and the one without which freedom to any class is delusive if not impossible. I set myself to work with whatever force and energy I possessed to secure this power for the recently emancipated millions. Suffering and worsening Black human packages Tied up in strings Black rage can come from all These kinds of things Black rage founded on Blatant denial economic Subsistence survival Deafening silence And social control Black rage is founded on Wounds in the soul When the dogs bite, when the bees sing, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember all these kinds of things, and then I don't fear 